The Charles Adler Show starts now. Interview me about my sources, and uh, you know they want me to download the usual suspects. You know, what, what do I pay attention to? So I'm supposed to say, well, I pay attention to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Globe and Mail and the Toronto Star and Winnipeg Free Press, the one I write uh, columns for, the Calgary Herald, etc., uh, etc. Et anyway, you know, all those mainstream sources: CBC, CTV, Global, whatever. Um, but the truth of the truth is that while, yeah, I, I do pay attention uh, to all of those, and I've been paying attention to all of those uh, newspapers and, and periodicals for, for many years now, because that's just been, you know, part of the business, whether I uh, trust all of them all the time isn't relevant. I need to know what other people in the, in the industry, both uh, the media and politics are reading, media, politics, uh, communications, public relations, whatever you want to call it, the, the, you know, the chatterers. I need to know what the chatterers are looking at. But there are other people uh, who may not be household names to some of the chatterers who are very, very important uh, to me as sources of information. And uh, one of them is uh, a person you're going to meet in just a few seconds. He's uh, based in Calgary. He's a paramedic. And uh, when he's not a paramedic, he's a podcaster, a great podcaster. Uh, his name is uh, Nate Pike, and uh, he is the host of the The Breakdown. And if you're looking for it on X or Twitter, it's at The Breakdown AB, as in Alberta, The Breakdown AB. Nate Pike, welcome to the Charles Adler Show. Mr. Adler, thank you so much. It's, it is a real privilege to be here today. So, you know, there was a time when you could say that provincial politics in Alberta was a provincial story, but for whatever reasons... Uh, provincial politics has transcended the province of Alberta and the country, or much of the country, and certainly the people I'm talking about right now, the, the chatter is both the consumers of chat and uh, those who deliver it are vitally interested in virtually everything that Daniel Smith is doing. So before I, I talk about uh, the Premier with you and uh, her latest issues, her latest uh, policies, her latest news events, I just want to ask you this. Um, do you feel that when we're talking about, um, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, these proposal to have an Alberta pension plan or an Alberta uh, police force or the business about uh, how she's rearranging the furniture in Alberta healthcare, which is of vital interest to every Albertan, but especially someone like you, a, a paramedic who knows the story on the ground. Do you feel that all of this is really about provincial governance or is so much of this about... Uh, creating as many fights as possible with Ottawa so as to move forward on the idea that Alberta needs to be, if not absolutely independent, far more independent than it is right now. I think there's a, there's, there's a bunch of different pieces going on with it, quite frankly. I think that there's, uh, there's certainly an ideological bent. I mean, Daniel Smith laid out uh, largely on the advice of Rob Anderson, it appears, um, she laid out her plans for healthcare. She laid out her plans for policing. It's it's all been spelled out for quite literally years. Um, some of it goes way way back to her days when she was with the Wild Rose. Some of it goes back to her days as a, a pundit and commentator. Um, but she's definitely got some ideological things going on. Um, I mean, she was just on recently on uh, a radio program where she was quite candid about the fact that one of the things that she loves about 
the national temper tantrum that Alberta is throwing right now uh, is that it's allowed Alberta to talk about more of our grievances, whether or not those grievances are justified. It's probably up for some debate. Um, but I don't think that there's there's any evidence with small exceptions that exist. I don't think that there's any evidence that this is any of the the big moves that she's making are for governance reasons. I think that they're, that they're definitely to advance a very, very particular uh, agenda. So all of us uh, like to think of ourselves as, as big hearted Canadians. And while I, I think about uh, Canadians every minute of every day, it's just, uh, you know, what I'm all about my entire life and certainly my career has been a, a thank you card to Canada. You know, there's a part of this human being that you're talking with, Nate, and I wish we could do this more often, frankly, but there's a part of me that has a very, very cold, calculating brain. And I'm always wondering whether points are being put on the board. It's one of the reasons I love sports. Uh, Spin is irrelevant in sport. Either you're putting points on the board or the other guy is. It's it's really simple. So I want to know whether any of these you talk about these these temper tantrums has any of this benefited alberta has any of this put points on the board made life better for the average albertan uh, if i was to answer that question honestly i would have to say largely i don't think so i think there have been small areas um, and i'll speak uh, for myself and in no way representing any organization that I'm affiliated with. Uh, I'll speak for myself and I'll say that there were some things that she did with the EMS file um, early on that temporarily solved some problems. I mean, she she put a mandate in place that there was going to be uh, a 45 minute handover when ambulances arrived at hospitals. That has certainly there's lots of media reports that uh, make it very, very, very clear that that's been eroded. So, you know, I, I kind of feel obligated to say, hey, she did one thing great for a couple months anyways. But I think that a lot of the other ones are not in the service of any sort of benefit for Albertans in any sort of reality based way. I think that there's a lot of pandering to the base. I think that there's a lot of adding fuel to the grievance uh, politics. But to take a look where Alberta is now, we're still down physicians. Um, The cost of living is still incredibly high. There's been nothing done to address electricity prices, which is actually the direct result of a UCP policy. So it would be very, very easy for the UCP to undo that. Um, But that's not any of the things that they're, they're moving on. They're moving on things that in many ways don't have any evidence to support them and aren't going to benefit Albertans in any, any long-term fashion. I mean, we just saw a report come out about the whole sheriff's initiative that she had during the summer where she said, Oh, we're going to put sheriffs with the city police and they're going to help patrol. And there's city of Calgary released a report uh, that made it very clear that it had no discernible impact whatsoever on the actual crime statistics or really people's perception of safety. So there's a lot of performative stuff that's going on, and I think there's a lot of different reasons for those different performances. Why are Alberta insurance rates uh, higher than they are in so many other provinces? I mentioned this because I talked to people who are thinking about making moves to different parts of the world, and Alberta is attractive for a whole host of reasons. Uh, Alberta housing, while the percentage has gone up, uh, so housing is less affordable than it was for Albertans by the standards of, say, people in, in British Columbia, Ontario. 
Alberta is is a pretty good deal. So people, you know, talk to me about that. They do their comparisons and they go, Chuck, uh, insurance, insurance, uh, car insurance is expensive in Alberta. Why is that? So Nate, uh, if you don't mind, uh, let me outsource that to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the short version is early on in the UCP's tenure, they decided to lift insurance caps. And so the insurance company said, oh, we, we can make more money. That sounds delightful. Uh, and then they have. <laughs> so that's, the, that's the short version. I mean, we see this. It's the same thing with the, the electricity prices is the UCP allowed a uh, principle called economic withholding, which is basically allowing the electricity companies to have full control over the supply side, which drives the price up. And I mean, Daniel Smith is on record a year ago saying, oh, yeah, it's totally the economic withholding thing that we did. Sorry about that. We should do something about it. And she's done nothing. So, so, so when it comes literally to, to things that people care about, like uh, affordability, uh, the, the cost of living, Danielle Smith is in a position as premier where she can do that. But are those things just simply not sexy for an ideologue? Uh, they don't. If, you, if you're not picking a fight with Ottawa, it's just it's just not interesting. I don't mean to uh, short shrift uh, her in in saying it that way because I know it makes her sound really vapid, makes her sound like a one trick pony, but I honestly wonder if something doesn't engage the ideological mind with her, does it become largely irrelevant? I think so. I think she's got a very particular set of people that she listens to for her policy ideas. There's certainly lots of evidence for that. And I think that if ideas or suggestions come from outside of those established uh, input sources, then they just don't, they just don't resonate. They don't land. I mean, I, I was, I was impressed. And this is this is where we are in the province of Alberta. When I was listening to her her radio interview yesterday, I was actually impressed when she got the name of the report that all of this pension stuff is is based on right because she's been consistently getting it wrong for the last two months. She hasn't been able to get the right name for the report. And yesterday she got it right. And I was like, oh, look at her go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So people in various parts of the country are confused because they think that Danielle Smith actually wants to get her mitts on, on our money, you know, when it comes to pensions. And correct me if I'm wrong, but my information is that our pension plan has nothing to do with which province we're in outside of Quebec. Uh, Quebec's got its own pension plan. But in the other uh, nine provinces, um, it's, it's not about the province we're in. We have a direct relationship. Each individual uh, has a direct relationship with the Canada Pension Fund which is one of the reasons I've never understood this business of um, Danielle Smith uh, talking about how Alberta has a certain percentage of the fund. They've got more than 50% of what's in the fund belongs to Alberta. I've just, I'm, I'm having a hard time with that. Help, help me with this because I know it's something that you focus on a, a whole lot more than I do. Well, that's what we do in Alberta. So what we do in Alberta is in order to get attention or to make the electorate angry, uh, we'll take an issue and then we'll grossly misrepresent it to as many people as possible. I mean, equalization is a fantastic example of that. I was listening to the uh, pension town hall last week and there was a lady who called in and it's worth remember, we got Jim Dinning on that panel. We got uh, an economist on that panel. We have a, a chartered accountant who worked with the Canadian pension plan. Those are the three people. So Jim Dinning, just so people know, Jim Dinning is a very serious guy and he's a former a finance minister in a in an in Alberta progressive conservative government is it is that right? All right. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many people would say he's very serious based on his performance with the panel so far. Yeah, but, I mean, in in the you know, past, that, he has a, a 
when I was when I was working with that government years ago, he had a he was one of the, the serious players. I, I don't I don't know you know where his head's been the last few years. I mean, I could say that for a number of people, but but in any case, a guy who potentially is a, a fairly strong intellectual person. He's not he's not a he's not an airhead. He's not he's not one of these vapid ideologues. No, he's a smart guy. No, Jim Denning. Yeah. Um, and this, this, this lady called in and she was expressing her support for the Alberta pension plan. And part of the justification that she used was, well, Alberta keeps making these equalization payments and (laughs) that's not how any of this works. But what was really impressive, what was, what was really sort of like, oh, that's what we're doing here. Uh, and I think it really underscored the point of these town halls. Um, she went uncorrected. Nobody said to her. <laughs> and Jim Denning, obviously, former government guy, and I say, well, I'll call him a former serious guy, certainly knows that there's no such thing as an Albertan making an equalization payment. Uh, is there any way that in 30 seconds you could hit this one out of the park? I mean, I, it just, I, I, need, I, need you, I need you to say something here because I think there are people in various parts of the country who've heard a lot of, I'll just call it uh, sort of really trashy, like low-end conservative rhetoric. Uh, implying that Albertans write checks to Quebec. So help me with this, Nate. Yeah, it's just not true. I mean, the way that the equalization program works is it's a program that comes out of general revenue or general federal revenue. So every Canadian taxpayer pays the same tax rate. And in the same way that the federal government goes, ah, we should buy a stapler, they also look at provinces that don't have the economic advantages that other provinces have. And they say, hey, you know what? Newfoundland, boy, they've had it rough lately. We're going to give some of the money from the general federal funding to Newfoundland to lift them up because we are a country, we are a confederation and we should be taking care of each other. But that's been a program that's been grossly misrepresented in Alberta uh, to have people believe that somehow Alberta is just cutting all of these checks and especially to Quebec. Oh, we give Quebec so much. And it's it's none of it's it's accurate or it's true. It's, it's no different than literally, and I'm, I'm riffing on uh, economist Trevor Toome a little bit there, but it's no different than when the federal government says, oh, we need to buy a stapler. It's money that comes out of general revenue that's generated by everybody's income tax. Everybody pays the same income tax rate. So the, the Calgary Flames are owned by a billionaire and uh, they're going to get a new arena and there's a whole lot of infrastructure around uh, the arena. It's much more than just an arena. It's, it's an entire town, really, uh, inside a town. And uh, much of the infrastructure is going to be paid for by the provincial government of Alberta. And I guess that means that people... If they live in Grand Prairie or, or, or Edmonton or Edson or, or Lethbridge or Castor are going to be paying into that uh, fund uh, regardless of whether or not they live in Calgary because that's how the cookie crumbles. Yep. Yep. It's uh, more, I think it works out to about two thirds, slightly more than two thirds of the funding for this new arena that's owned by billionaires um, is being paid for by the city of Calgary. Uh, and then the surrounding infrastructure is being paid for by the, the province of Alberta. Um, this is a radically different deal than what was on the table a couple of years ago. Uh and a more cynical person might look at the deep and profound connections that Daniel Smith has to the, the, the beneficiaries of this deal through her work with the Alberta Enterprise Group and say, ah, oh, I wonder if there's a connection there. But that's, that's for deeply cynical My, my apologies, uh, the Calgary Flames and Stampeders, it's all under the same umbrella. Uh, they're not owned by a 
a British billionaire. They're owned by several billionaires. It's always that one <laughs> British one who gets the. So that, that's why I always end up thinking one, but it's it's it's, it's many. And he, own, I guess, he owns. He would own the uh, the majority of the shares in that in that private corporation. Yeah, and it's it's worth noting he's not really British. He he used to be Canadian, and then he was like, "Oh, these income tax rates in Canada, I don't like those very much, so I'm going to move to." <laughs> I love I love these guys. They don't they don't like paying the billionaires who feel they pay too much tax in Canada. They move elsewhere, but there's nothing wrong with coming back every now and then to have lunch with a member of the government that might slip them some some money. I, I'm a I'm a capitalist, uh, but I'm not a capitalist pig, and uh, I'm embarrassed by how some capitalists are. Uh, you know, abusing the system, abusing in a legal sense. It's perfectly legal to get the government to basically pay for your your rink. So let, let's move on from there to the business about uh, Preston Manning. And uh, I guess he's getting paid over a quarter of a million dollars. So this isn't making him a billionaire. But I, I get the impression that this research that he uh, imparted uh, this week in this report on how Alberta treats the next uh, COVID crisis or other public health care uh, crises. I gather that it, it, it's a cut and paste job. I gather that virtually everything he delivered this week, uh, he has said before. Is that right? I mean, a lot of it. It's a big report. Uh, I'm in the process of still reading it because it only came out yesterday. There's a lot, people a lot smarter than me who have given uh, sort of condensed versions of wow, what a dumpster fire this is. I mean, it makes references to see Appendix 21 and then it's Appendix 21 right beside it. So it's just an infinite feedback loop of Appendix 21. They have a um, a report that they referenced that was written by the same guy who made the argument, which again, it's worth highlighting, Danielle Smith Amplified. So this isn't just like, this is the wild thing about Alberta right now is that there's beliefs that one historically would have looked at and gone, wow, that's super fringe. And then there's the reality of what we're living through. And it's not fringe anymore because this guy is the guy who wrote the, the report that argued, hey, you know what would solve all of Alberta's problems? If we just took half of British Columbia, the northern half, that's mostly unceded territories. If we just took that, then we would have ports that we could use. And if Saskatchewan just took half of Manitoba, that would give them the Port of Churchill. Everybody yeah, wins. Yeah, and, and port, ports are, ports matter because uh, ships dock in ports and uh, you you got pipelines uh, to the ports and then you get the oil uh, shipped overseas. That's that's the port business. Well, in, in BC, yes, in, in, in Port of Churchill, less so because the ground has this habit of melting. Um, but this is the guy who um the this panel tapped to say hey can you give us some feedback on what you think we should do and he wrote a singular report he's the sole author that's heavily referenced throughout this uh manning report and it's i mean the whole thing is just the number of of health lawyers uh health policy experts who have read the thing and gone what in the hell is this like this is an unmitigated disaster um the the fact that it makes the argument that in in responding to a public health emergency maybe we should consider some non evidence based evidence and i don't know what that is so this is this has to do with with what like the horse dewormer that some people felt should be taken by people who yeah. got covid yeah, the, it, it seems to be at the very least a, an oblique reference to it because there are a lot of people, unfortunately, and this is one of the the areas that I think 
just about everybody fell down on when the the pandemic happened. And this is certainly an area that lots of, of public health experts have acknowledged. The communication that went on explaining to people um, what was going on with the pandemic, what the response was to the pandemic, why that was the response to the pandemic, the conversations that went around that were incredibly poor quality. And especially in Alberta, where we had a premier who was like, okay, well, I know that we've got a chief medical officer of health who's supposed to be in charge, but I just really, really, really want to be in charge still um, and ended up breaking a bunch of laws. People lack confidence in those official sources. And so they went to unofficial sources for information. Mr. Manning certainly did this. And that's where a lot of these uh, alternative, non-evidence-based treatment options came from. And they had their feelings hurt when experts said, oh, Jesus, don't do that. Now, let me let me uh, big picture this, not not just because I don't have an attention span for the small picture, but I, I just want to make this as accessible as possible for people. For sure. Um, so, Nate, help me with, with this. This, this anti-science business, I, I don't care whether it's climate change or the anti-vax stuff, whatever. It's, to me, it's all it's all the same. It always appeals uh, to the same mind. And there is, to me, a mind, I'll call, call it a, a sort of a right-wing populist mind that is always suspicious of anyone with intelligence, always suspicious with anyone, especially with, with, with academic intelligence. Like the, the three dirtiest words in populism is PhD. Like the moment someone has a PhD, you know, they ought to be arrested or shot or, or something. And I'm just using a little bit of hyperbole here to make the point. Is that the big picture here in this business that Preston Manning uh, ended up making a quarter of a million dollars on? Is this all about feeding the ideological objectives of those people who simply do not trust anyone who knows anything? Yeah. I mean, short answer, yes. I think that there's um, there's a lot of people who have figured out that there's a certain segment of the population that if they don't understand a thing, and when we're talking about epidemiology or virology or any of those things, we're talking about, like, I don't understand those and I work in healthcare. Um, but one of the things that I hold to be true is that if somebody has expertise and they say, this is what you should do, then okay you know the things. I don't know those things. And I don't see that as a personal weakness. But there's a lot of people who have manufactured the perception that if somebody says, I'm an expert, what they're saying is that they're better than you. And that's just not true. Yeah, when I need my car fixed, I go to a mechanic. I don't go to a guy who calls himself George Mechanic, you know. Uh, and, and, and if I need heart surgery, I'm going to go to a cardiologist. And if someone says to me, are you really going to trust someone who's a heart specialist? Yeah, I'm not going to go to the mechanic to get my heart fixed. I don't understand why in 2023 in a so-called educated country, why we even have to have these conversations. But apparently, and I, I don't mean to focus on Alberta, but I'm talking to an Albertan here. In Alberta, especially because of the ideology that's out there, apparently every single day we've got to defend people with knowledge. Yeah. Oh, we saw this at the UCP AGM. I mean, the, 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 the cherry on top of that whole dumpster fire for me, the, the thing that really just was like, okay, we know what's going on now, was the policies that were put forward at that AGM were, were horrifying. Uh, and I really can't overstate just how bad, how regressive so many of them were. And these aren't conservative policies. These are regressive policies. And there's a big difference between those two things. But 
the one policy that didn't go through was the one on school vouchers. And the reason why the school vouchers one didn't go through is because there was a large enough contingent of homeschoolers there who felt they weren't represented in that policy. That's why that policy didn't go through. <laughs> okay, UCP, for everyone who might not be familiar with the three letters, that's the Conservative Party in Alberta. It's called the United Conservative Party, although um, it's not terribly uh, united these days. Uh, it was the you know harder right party, Wild Rose, merging with the sort of center-right progressive conservative party, the party that I tend to identify with regardless of whether it's a, a province or a country. I'm a, kind of a, a progressive conservative, if you have to label me. And uh, that party got swallowed up by, by Wild Rose, and it's got swallowed up by the right. And, and that's why we've got some of these conversations that are a little bit on the, on the, on the weird side, because for people who are traditional uh, conservatives, they, they wonder what the hay is, is going on. Before I let you go, I want uh, to discuss the health piece. I was mentioning earlier the deck chairs are being rearranged in the Alberta healthcare system. Uh, that's very, very important as far as public service goes. It is uh, the most important public service uh, to, to most people. You're involved in it because you're a paramedic. Is anything changing and is it changing in a substantive way? Uh, well, there's lots changing and it is in a, a very substantive way, but I would arguably it's destructively substantive. I mean, it's it's predicated in part on another one of the great Alberta lies that we tell ourselves. And, and that's the notion that Alberta Health Services has a disproportionate, if you compare it to any other corporation, we've got too many managers. And when you actually take a look at what the data is, no, that's simply not true. Sorry, um, it's a great bedtime story, but it's it's just not true. And so part of what we're seeing is predicated on that notion that, oh, we need to do something big to get rid of all the managers, even though this move creates significantly more managers. But it's also the, the inevitable follow through of Danielle Smith's promise that she was going to punish Alberta Health Services for their handling of the pandemic. And even that is predicated on a boatload of myths, truths, and inaccuracies. Uh, so as much as we've seen Daniel Smith and the UCP talking about the massive changes that they're making to the healthcare system, they've, they've removed AHS as the primary um, service deliverer. They're, they're breaking it into four different um, silos, and everything works great in silos. Um, that was sarcasm. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. But I know it wasn't it wasn't really an agricultural statement. No, um, it, it's there. I haven't seen anybody who is not coming from a place of that bedtime story of there's too many managers who are saying this is going to be a good thing. All of the health policy experts that I, I pay attention to, all of the health law experts that I pay attention to. We just had a really big conversation with Dr. Lorian Hardcastle from the University of Calgary on this on our show. And uh, they're all saying, well, this is bad. This is really bad. And that's just the reality. I don't think that there's anything positive that's going to well, I shouldn't say that because that's a little bit too broad strokes. I think that any positives that come out of this decision are going to be absolutely crushed in the negatives that come of it. All right. So to use uh, the title of your podcast breakdown, uh, and I'll uh, ask the question in this way. Um, if the public health care system is breaking down in Alberta, 
from an ideological perspective, uh, Danielle Smith and her her right hand man, uh, Rob Anderson, is that a good thing? Because that does that force open the conversation that they love to have, which is how to bring in more private healthcare options. I think one of the fun things uh, or one of the interesting things about this conversation is that the the word play gets to be really important really quickly. We've seen Daniel Smith and a lot of the UCP, certainly health administrator, Daniel Grange, it still hurts to say that, um, have come out and said, oh, no, there's not going to be any privatization. This will all be publicly funded healthcare that will be delivered through a variety of ways. So it's important to be clear. This isn't privatization in the sense that if you want to go see your GP or your family doctor, you're going to have to throw down 35, 40, $50 or whatever. What this is, is this is the cracking open of the Alberta healthcare system to allow the injection of what we've termed at the show profitization. So Daniel Smith has been very clear. She's been very clear in, in the past. She's been very clear in the press releases that what she wants to see happen with this is Alberta Health Services gets now turned into Alberta Hospital Services, and they're going to be one deliverer of healthcare. But she wants to see many other deliverers of healthcare for the customers, their words, not mine, uh, that are accessing the healthcare system. So this is a way to introduce private players who are going to be doing four profit healthcare on the public dime, not coming directly from the customer. Will it cost the overall customer, the Alberta taxpayer, will it cost them more money to have the system operated in this way? A lot of people smarter than me are saying yes. Uh, and the bigger concern that a lot of people smarter than me are saying is that there's going to be a degradation of the quality of care. Because if you start to say, you know what, it takes, it costs $150 to replace an ankle. Obviously, that's a made up number. Um, but if it costs $150 to, to replace an ankle in the public health care system, we're going to farm it out to Joe's orthopedic surgeons. And Joe's going to do it for the same price. But Joe needs to make a profit margin. So something has to give in order for Joe to be able to make the 10, 15 bucks per procedure that he wants to make. And that invariably comes from the quality of care. And we see this in the continuing care homes. I mean, all, if there's a lesson that should have come out of the pandemic, it's that private long-term care homes cut a lot of corners so they can make a lot of money. Nate, as you know, I'm a hockey fan, and naturally I support my adopted hometown, uh, Winnipeg Jets, and I'm relatively happy with uh, how they're playing uh, so far. Not happy with how some of my friends on ice in Alberta are playing. Uh, has anyone blamed Justin Trudeau in Ottawa uh, for, for the um, mediocre play, especially uh, with respect to the Edmonton Oilers? I mean, in Alberta, if it snows, we blame Trudeau. If 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 the sun goes behind a cloud for like 30 seconds, ah, it's Trudeau. Um, so it's more shocking when the federal government or Trudeau aren't blamed for something than, I mean, that's just like, it's a day that ends in why we're blaming Trudeau for something, whether or not it's well-placed or not. And to be clear, I have no love lost for our, our current prime minister. I think that he's done some things poorly. Um, but I also don't think that blaming the federal government or Trudeau for high electricity prices in Alberta when it's a UCP policy make any sense whatsoever. At that point, we're just trying to feed our victim complex as opposed to actually solving the problems. And I'm far more interested in solving the problems. Would you like to say something kind about the Vancouver Canucks 
uh, for many, many years, Alberta hockey fans have, have laughed at the Canucks and the Canucks are having an outstanding season so far. Would you like to do a nice guy thing on the Canucks or would you, would you rather pass the puck as it were? I will, I will say congratulations for not being in Alberta. All right. Nate Pike, thank you very much. Looking forward to our next opportunity to visit with you and uh, to watch you on the breakdown. Uh, there are several breakdowns a week in general, and the big one, the, the live breakdown, is uh, every Sunday night. On Twitter, you can find Nate at, at the breakdown AB, at the breakdown AB. Nate, thank you very much. Thank you, Charles. And good luck to you. Nate Pike, uh, who is one of our sources, now you know. Uh, one of the people I count on to uh, explain some of the things that get rather uh, complicated in that uh, political zoo known as Alberta. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, continue to please tell your friends and neighbors about the Charles Adler Show, the podcast. Thank you. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press and every day at criermedia.co.